It wasn't pretty, but the United States men's national team is officially qualified for next summer's Copa America. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Backyield Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on this episode, we're talking about what we learned from the United States men's national team's November window, where they really limped into the Copa America and the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. That will be taking place in March of next year. Thanks to a 3-0 win over Trinidad and Tobago in the first leg of a two-legged affair. That game was in Austin last week. And a 2-1 loss in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. That game happened last night as I'm recording on Tuesday, November 21st. We're going to chat about what we learned from this window. Digging into the big picture takeaways from Greg Berhalter's team. And we'll do it all in 10 minutes or less because here on the Backyield Show, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So... Let's get to it and talk about the USMNT. All right, folks. So it is the morning after maybe the strangest U.S. men's national team game that I have seen ever, if not ever, in a long, long time. 2-1 loss to Trinidad and Tobago in Port of Spain, featuring the viral Serginho Dest red card where he yells at the referee, Punts the ball into the stands, yells at the referee some more, yells at his teammates, yells at the referee some more, is given a red card, all this stuff. Absolutely absurd stuff from Serginho Dest, who clearly has some trust to regain inside of the locker room. Now, he has apologized. Greg Berhalter came out and said, paraphrasing, but there there aren't going to be major repercussions going forward. They're handling it the right way, all of those kinds of things. I'm not super worried about Serginho Dest, but that is the second red card for a chaos-related incident that Dest has had this year after a scrum against Mexico in the Nations League earlier in the summer. So it's something to watch for, but not a a huge big-picture takeaway at the moment. To start with, the U.S. didn't play particularly well in either of these games. They turned it on late against Trinidad and Tobago in the first leg. They were clearly the better team, right? They were dominant in the first leg, much less so in the second, which is not a great sign. But the U.S. were, were clearly better in the first leg. They were the better team overall in these two games, But they didn't play particularly well. And if we're looking for reasons as to why that is, I think the most obvious place to start, and I wrote this for Backheel.com, is with the depth. Now, I'm not saying that Berhalter perfectly set up this team to thrive in both games, right? There was some experimentation in the second game with two strikers that we'll get on to talk about in a moment. The first game, the U.S. did not have a lot of success breaking through that block. And Berhalter, at a basic level, is the one providing the platform for his players to go out there and do that stuff. That being said... The players are the ones executing on the field. And in the first game in Austin, Kevin Paredes, Malik Tillman, others as well, Serginho Dest when he was on the field, they had chances to go out there and break the block. They had 1v1s. They had opportunities. The the passing and the movement had created moments where these players could take advantage against a scrambling defense, and they were not good. Which leads me to say, the U.S.'s depth is still a problem for this team. It was a problem at the World Cup where the U.S. didn't have a, a difference maker really to bring off the bench outside of Gio Reyna, and obviously now we know some of the context that went around him at the World Cup. They didn't have a go-to guy off the bench. Now, when you're missing a couple of key players due to injury, as the U.S. was in this window, no Christian Pulisic, no Tim Weah in the attack, no Tyler Adams still dealing with a leg injury, no Weston McKenney for the second game, all of a sudden, when you're down in the number two spot at a number of positions across the team, you can see that the dip in quality is so obvious. And of course, right, you're going to see a drop-off from the first-choice guys to the second-choice guys. That is obvious and expected. The issue for the United States was how big and how noticeable that drop-off truly was. Having Kevin Paredes in the first game, 
struggled to win a 1v1. He didn't complete any of his dribbles going up against a Trinidad and Tobago defender. These are USL Championship, USL League One, Canadian players, Canadian Premier League players, I should say, players playing domestically in Trinidad and Tobago. These are not high-level players. And I understand that playing a low block in the first leg makes a lot of things difficult for the U.S. It truly does. But the issues that the U.S. had with Paredes being inefficient, with Tillman being inefficient, even in the second leg, with Brendan Aronson, who got the start, someone who's been to a World Cup, someone who's played in these big games before, going down to Trinidad and Tobago and failing to take guys on, failing to check his shoulder, failing to do the basic stuff that you want one of your wide midfielders to do, or or even a player pinching into the half space, as he did in that game. Just so many issues from the next men up for the United States. It's a concern, and it's a reminder for the United States that things still need to improve. If they want to have a real shot to make the semifinal run at the World Cup that you know people at U.S. Soccer are, are talking about, that Greg Berhalter is talking about, things need to change. Things need to improve. The first choice group, I do believe this, is not capable of being favored against the best in the world, but we saw this in the first half against Germany, is capable of playing with the best teams in the world. The U.S. can beat anyone on a good day. But their depth uh, cannot. Their depth absolutely cannot. Aronson, Paredes, Tillman, Luca De La Torre struggled in midfield. These players still have a lot of room to grow, and the U.S. has room to grow to find players who can come in and challenge the existing depth options and maybe even overtake them ahead of the 2026 World Cup. So, the depth issues for the United States, one of the absolute biggest picture takeaways coming out of this window. One other thing that Peralta tried against Trinidad and Tobago on Monday evening I wrote about this for Backheel.com as well. That article is free. Go check that out. Is the two-striker setup. When the lineup drops against Trinidad and Tobago on Monday evening, it's Florin Balogun and Ricardo Pepe in the lineup together. Now, this has never happened between these two in a relatively small set of games. Baralta really has only ever gone to a front two with two actual strikers once that I can recall in his entire U.S. tenure. That was against Canada back in the 2021 Gold Cup. It was Jossie Zardes and it was Daryl DK starting up top for the U.S., in what amounted to basically a 5-3-2 in that game. He's never done it since then, and he's never done it with the players at the level of Florin Balogun and Ricardo Pepe. So this was, for all intents and purposes, a new thing for Greg Berhalter. And unfortunately, because Serginho Dest lost his mind in the 39th minute, got sent off, the U.S. had to finish and had to play the majority of that game on Monday with 10 players, which almost invalidates the experiment because we don't get a full look at what these players can do together for 90 minutes. That being said... There are some things we can take away from Balogun and Pepe going up top together. The first is that Greg Berhalter is willing to experiment tactically. He has not done a ton of that throughout his U.S. tenure. There have been very marked shifts. The beginning of 2020, shifting the defensive shape to a 4-3-3. That was new. Since the World Cup, we've seen a lot more of Gio Reyna nominally being the third midfielder. He'll still do a lot of the same chance creation, roaming stuff. But he's been the third man in that midfield group with still two other wide or half-space attackers in the team as well. That's not something we saw very much at all in the last World Cup cycle. Maybe this is the next possible evolution. It's the next trick that Berhalter has in his back pocket to pull out in a moment where he thinks it's going to be useful. So Berhalter used Balogun and Pepe up top in a 4 2 That all was before the punt to end all punts from Serginho Dest into the stands in Port of Spain. But those two were starting up top together. That is new. Berhalter's willingness to do it is basically new. Of the two, in terms of other things we learned... Balogun tended to be the more mobile. He was popping up on the right wing or deeper down the field several times throughout the first half on Monday. That is a takeaway. Both strikers were pretty sharp with their hold-up play. Again, this is against a, a relatively poor Trinidad and Tobago team. They're in the triple-digit club for both the ELO ratings and the FIFA rankings, so it's not a major feat. 
there wasn't a huge connection between the two. Now, there were a couple of moments in a small sample where you know, Balogun played with Pepe or Pepe found Balogun. There were some of those sequences, but I'm not sure that either one truly loves to be the one doing the drop-in, create a ton of chances. Balogun can do it probably a bit better than Pepe, but both really like to face forward, both like to run in behind, and both like to cause problems in the box. They're more traditional strikers than not, and that combination does make me a bit curious about how this is going to work moving forward, but it wasn't bad, necessarily, in the first 30 minutes and change against Trinidad and Tobago. And the last thing that I noticed, and this is maybe a chemistry thing, once or twice, they were stepping on each other's toes by crowding the same space in the final third. There's a moment in the first half where Luca De La Torre is striding forward out of midfield, and he tries to find one of them, right? He's looking for the next pass. It's the 29th minute. De La Torre drives forward, and the strikers don't know where they're going. Pepe tries to sort of cut across in front of De La Torre, and Balogun doesn't know when to release, and it all just sort of ends up getting clumped. De La Torre is probably to blame some for this, but I think the strikers and their lack of familiarity with each other in their first time ever starting a game together, I think that plays a part here too. So there's room to grow, and it is in general an incomplete on this experiment, but the fact that Peralta was willing to do it is worth noting ahead of the Copa America, the Nations League, all of these things that are coming up for the U.S. against fairly good competition in March and against very good competition in the summer. It's worth noting ahead of those things happening next year. That, folks, is it. We've got plenty more USMNT coverage over on Backheel.com. One quick note, we will not have a show on Thursday this week because it is Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy the day with family and friends and whatever else you've got planned, and we'll be back again next week. 